Hello and welcome to Strat News Global. I am Subrat Nanda and joining me from the United Kingdom is Robert Ward. He is Director of Geoeconomics and Strategy at the International Institute of Strategic Studies and also heads the Japan Chair. And today we will talk about Japan's just released defense white paper. Robert, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Subrat, for having me on. What's the overarching message of this strategic paper? The overarching message, I think, is uh, there are several of them, and I think they're to be found largely in, in the new bits of, the sort of departures, if you like, from previous white papers. I think there are about three uh, main departures, breaks new ground. One of those is in the way that the Defence Minister in his foreword to the white paper uh, mentioned the free and open Indo-Pacific concept, FOIP. Uh, this is a, the organising framework for Japanese foreign policy set out by uh, former Prime Minister Abe Shinzo in 2016. It expanded on Abe's confluence of the two seas speech, which he made in Delhi actually in 2007, um, and is a tool of uh, economic statecraft actually, rather than security policy per se. So this was unusual uh, by the standards of previous the, the previous. Um, white papers to put this in. He mentions in the foreword how other countries, including India, uh, share Japan's FOIP vision, which is about rules-based order, freedom of navigation, prosperity, connectivity, and so on. And within the FOIP wrapper, there's a clear statement of Japan's commitment to universal values, which Tokyo, they say, uh, proudly flies the flag. The second departure is really important for Japan's long-term security, and it's a strong call for Japan to build out its advanced technological base. And clearly, tech is absolutely vital. Uh, the advances in technology capability absolutely vital for defence posture, defence capabilities, uh, particularly given the advances that, that China is making in this area. I tallied up the mentions of research, because clearly research is an important bit of this, um, pushing the tech technological base for Japan. Uh, and in the 2021 white paper, there were 17 mentions of, of research in the English version compared with just two in the 2020 paper. So it just gives you a sense of just how far up the priority list this move. Japan's um, tech capabilities needs to be seen within the context of relatively weak ability, te technological capabilities in areas like cyber, uh, for example. This reflects the historical split between civilian and defence realms uh, in Japan, but uh, very important that it doubles down on research to, to make advances uh, in this area. Then the third uh, area is, is China, because as about China, the, the threat from China, perceived threat from China, has features in previous white papers, of course, but I think the tone in this white paper is, is, is really interesting, quite different from we've had before. Note, for example, the length of space devoted to China in uh, Defence Minister Kishi's forward, for example, it's, it's, it's in the second paragraph, it's the longest paragraph. Um, he talk, They talk about uh, unilateral attempts to change the status quo by China. That refers partly, of course, to the territorial needling by China in, in the Senkaku Island area. They cite the threat uh, to Japan of China's new Coast Guard law which expands the remit of China's Coast Guard into territory that China claims as well. And the Chinese Coast Guard is an agent of, seen as an agent of China's grey zone activity. Space is also devoted to US-China relations. This is unusual, hasn't, haven't seen it in, in recent uh, versions. And of course, US-China, that relationship is so important for Japan. Uh, the US is Japan's most important security guarantor. Uh, in the forward, Kishi describes the US as Japan's only ally. Uh, and China, of course, is Japan's most important market, economic market. Japan's, the health of Japan's economy depends 
on China. Also notable, this white paper contained the first call in a Japanese defense white paper for stability uh, in the Taiwan Strait. This echoes previous comments by the Japanese government and others this year. Uh, for example, the Prime Minister Suga Yoshihide's summit with US President Biden this year, when they, in their, in their communique, they referenced the desire for stability in the Taiwan Strait. This was the first time this had happened in this in this format uh, since the early 1970s, before even Japan had uh, diplomatic relations uh, with the People's Republic of China. It's quite a major departure. Also in May, when uh, the Defence Minister Kishi, in an interview with the Japanese newspaper, the Nikkei, spoke of uh, the links between Taiwan's security and Japan's own security, and even indicated that Japan could break its convention of not spending more than 1% of GDP on defence. Uh, defence issues. So really important change there, I think, with regard to how uh, concerns about Taiwan are expressed. And, and finally, with regard to Taiwan, the, the paper also says, talks about uh, Taiwan security being important for international stability. This is important because it's an effort by Japan to promote international cooperation uh, in order to ensure stability in the Asia-Pacific region. You just mentioned the Japanese defence minister calling America Japan's only ally. Isn't it a given? Was there a need to reinforce that? Well, if you look at previous um, defence white papers, this, this this is a sort of drumbeat that is that is is very loud uh, in in all all the previous versions, and I think it needs to be said because, of course, it's true. The US is uh, is Japan's most important security partner, its only ally, but also Japan. Is, lives in constant fear of, of the US perhaps changing its mind, reducing its level of its commitment to uh, to the alliance, to its presence in Asia. That obviously, that, that, that concern grew uh, during the Trump presidency and perhaps has receded a bit now that, that President Biden's uh, taken over. But if you look at every every major document about strategy, about, about planning, the, the, the centrality of the US uh, alliance is always stated. I think the one phrase is, this alliance is the cornerstone of, of Japan's security. The document, as you just said, mentions Taiwan for the first time. And perhaps for the first time, you have a map of China without Taiwan being mentioned. What does it signify? Well, I think Japan is is trying to, always has to tread a very fine line uh, with, with regard to how it, uh, to its, its dealings with China. So on the one hand, as I said, it's one of Japan's security threats reasons that we've been talking about, but also the most important uh, the most important markets are really critical to, to, to the health of the Japanese uh, economy. The tone of Japan's uh, concerns about uh, about the threat from China have hardened. I mean, that's, that's not surprising if you consider the uh, intense and sustained nature of the territorial intrusions by China around the Senkaku Islands, for example, the hardening of Chinese rhetoric on, on Taiwan, which is uh, geographically close to the, uh, to the Senkaku. Um, the, the concerns about China's revisionism, which, which are expressed in the paper as these, these concerns about unilateral attempts by Beijing to change the, the status quo, that is very important for Japan's uh, security, uh, given the sea lanes of communication that goes through the South China Sea, where China's active, of course, and the East China Sea, there's concerns about China, uh, Taiwan and the uh, and the Senkaku, for example, um, and also the um, the concerns about what what Japan sees as China's cyber attacks on uh, on Japanese entities uh, and uh, and companies. However, despite all of that, it's very also very important that Japan tries to remain open to China because of this economic link, as I as I've said just now. Um, so it's tempering this hardening 
uh, with continued displays of openness uh, to China. And I think one of the important uh, signals of that in the white paper is the space given to the free and open in Indo-Pacific, the FOIP uh, concept. Quite explicitly, Japan describes this as an inclusive vision. Inclusive means also that China can join, provided China uh, respects the rule of law and all the sort of international order that Japan depends on. Also, the paper also says that any country can cooperate as long as it, is, as, long as, as it endorses the FOIP concepts. So again, that includes China. So again, this is a sort of very delicate balancing act that, uh, that Japan's trying to do. And I think the overall uh, aim of Japan's policy here is to, is to obviously to support the, the rules-based order uh, on which Japan and many other countries depend, but also to try to stop other smaller countries bandwagoning with China, because of course China's economy is, is, is so enormous and the gravitational pull of the Chinese economy uh, is vast. So the, um, the white paper, I think, sort of try, tries to sort of capture uh, all of these various, various strands. You just mentioned Indo-Pacific and Japan having mentioned its desire to scale up cooperation with uh, like-minded countries. Is this on the lines of what's being known as Quad Plus? Yes. So the Quad, um, before we get to <laughs> Quad Plus, which is a whole other um, sort of area of, of, uh, of discussion in, in, in many places, uh, the Quad is really important uh, for Japan. And uh, the, the sort of loose grouping, which is uh, Japan, India, Australia and the US, um, has had has enjoyed quite strong momentum uh, this year. The first Quad Leaders Summit uh, in March this year, for example, obviously remotely because of COVID, but it was a very important statement of support, particularly from the US for this for this grouping. We also saw the have seen the extension of the Quad's activities from the purely military sphere to to supply chain security, vaccines, uh, climate change uh, as well. You can understand from a Japanese point of view, the Quad is seen as the sort of security underpin uh, to Japan's free and open Indo-Pacific vision, the FOIP vision, which we've been talking about. And it actually gets a couple of mentions even in the um, in the white paper, particularly the, the Malabar exercise at the end of uh, 2020, which Australia joined. Um, it's worth stressing, of course, the reason for for why the Quad is so important for Japan. Well, one is it is an amplifier for cooperation with key like-minded powers in the in the Indo-Pacific, with this enormous area that Japan has given a name to, uh, but it is absolutely vast. And of course, Japan can't do all the things that it wants to do uh, on its own. So it does need these bigger countries with different capabilities to have different uh, geographical coverage to, to help it, hence its, uh, hence its support for the Quad. It's also, and this is another very important point, I think, it's a way for Japan to broaden its engagement with India uh, and the US in, in the region. This is particularly important as neither India nor the US is in either of the mega trade blocks in, in, in the region. So RCEP, uh, India, for various reasons, uh, didn't decided not to join uh, RCEP last year. Uh, and the CPTPP, uh, the US, is, is not in that. And I think it's unlikely Biden has, has, will gain little political credit domestically, I suspect, for, for taking the UK, US into the CPTPP in the near future. So the Quad is a way for Japan to engage with India and the US in, in, in a slightly different way. And also, to, as I said earlier, just to amplify the, the impact of these like-minded powers. Final question. What is the picture of a, of a samurai on the cover? signify <laughs> so this this is a yes the, the cover very very striking and uh, uh, as, as was noted on uh, by uh, 
observers outside Japan and uh, I think Japan got some attracted quite a lot of comment abroad and of course some trolling from uh, from China uh, because of this uh, this this cover very striking again a departure from the more um, ethereal and and uh, sort of less defined covers that, that, that we had before. The 2020 cover was, I, I thought, rather a lovely um, uh, drawing of Mount Fuji with some cherry blossoms in a very sort of fine cherry blossom pink. So the, the difference between that, that and this, this samurai warrior, who I think is a is 14th century Kusunoki Masahige, famous samurai warrior, symbol of valor, loyalty to the emperor, and a great strategist. His statue sits in Tokyo, quite near the, the imperial palace, I think. But so the cover was striking, but it's, it actually serves a, a really important purpose, which is to try to, uh, amongst many other reasons, I suspect, but one of these reasons is to try to attract a younger generation, to try to get the attention of a younger generation. Why is this important? Because, well, because recruitment to the Japanese military, so the self-defense forces, is really difficult for the military at the moment. Not only is the population falling, so there are fewer youngsters uh, to go round, but also given all the other opportunities for young people in Japan, a career in the military is not necessarily the one that uh, many people want to want to go for. So really, I mean, recruitment is a problem. Having Kusunoki on the cover, who is a well-known character, he, he appeared in Japanese uh, costume period uh, dramas. So he, he's, he, he will be known to young people as sort of um, an attempt to, to to widen the audience for all the things that uh, the Ministry of Defence needs to do. Uh, and the other point is that the Ministry of Defence, and this is, this is constant with all the things that the MOD is trying to do, it constantly needs to, to draw and appeal, to, to boost public support for its initiatives and developments uh, with all which, of course, which it needs to do a lot of given the threat from China. And because of Japan's historical situation, because of what happened in the Second World War and the, the way that the peace element of the constitution and so on, um, the Ministry of Defense's initiatives can be controversial in Japan. So again, it's the example of the, the ministry trying to sort of broaden its appeal and to sort of pull people into the into the discussion and perhaps gain, gain some more acceptance for what it's trying to do. Uh, all eyes now, of course, are, are on who they will choose for next year's cover, so which, uh, which hero uh, will be on next year's cover. On that note, Robert, thanks very much for your time. Thanks very much for having me.